Gone is a podcast about people who have gone missing in the United States and Canada. These people are daughters, sons, sisters, and aunties. They didn't just disappear. Someone, somewhere, knows something. I'm Katie Nordby. And I'm Janelle Feller. These are the stories of Joshua Guimond and Becky Kramer Marzo. Joshua, Josh, Guamond grew up in Maple Lake, Minnesota. Maple Lake is located about 30 miles south of St. Cloud. He was class president at Maple Lake High School and was voted most likely to succeed by his peers. He was planning for a future in politics. Raised in a Catholic family, St. John's University in Collegeville, Minnesota was a perfect fit for Josh. Collegeville is located about an hour northeast of Minneapolis. In 2002, he was 20 years old and a junior at the men's college. Josh was majoring in political science. He was the captain of the mock trial team and wanted to go to law school and eventually run for a legislative seat. On November 9th, 2002, he met up with friends to play cards at the Metten Court Apartments on the north side of campus. Alcohol may have been involved, though his friends say he was not intoxicated. A little after midnight, Josh left the party to use the restroom. When he didn't return after 15 minutes, his friends figured that he made the three-minute walk back to his dorm at St. Mauer House. Shortly after, his friends called his dorm, and when he didn't answer, they assumed that he was sleeping. The next day, when Josh didn't show up for mock trial team practice, his roommate called Josh's father around 8 p.m. His father said he immediately got a pit in his stomach. It was November in Minnesota, and Josh wasn't dressed for the weather. His car was found undisturbed, although it's not clear where, his, where the car was, but it did say that his keys were found at his dorm, so I'm assuming that it was found at his place. He left his jacket, credit cards, glasses, and contact lenses behind. At the time, in 2002, there were no security cameras, and cell phones weren't as popular as they are today. Since his friends called his dorm room that night, I'm also assuming that he didn't have a cell phone on him. And I, his friends were responsible uh, mature people, right? Yeah, to have done that at twenty years old and ha- just that not have somebody show up in November. It was. It's good to know that he was he was cared for. Yeah, in the best way that they could at the time. Yep. In the days and weeks after Josh went missing, more than a hundred National Guard soldiers combed the prairies and woods near campus. Helicopters, dogs, and hundreds of volunteers, including college students, came out to assist in the search, but nothing was found. The Trident Foundation conducted a thorough search of all three lakes around campus and found no trace of Josh. After he went missing, someone erased items from his computer. No one knows who or if it's connected to his disappearance. Some of the information that was recovered had to do with making fake ID cards. So do they know, um, how do they know that things were erased? Um, I'm assuming that they searched his computer to see if there was any any information on there that would show, okay, this is why he left, this is why he's not around. This is who he was communicating uh, with. Right. But how, <clears throat> I guess I don't know how they would know that something had been erased. And, um, you know, how some, they would know that something was actually missing. Um, one article that I read said that it was like over 300 items had oh. been deleted. Okay. So they must have searched the recycle bin or, you know, wherever you look to, right. to find right. deleted items. Um, and... I couldn't find anything that that talked about why fake ID cards. Why they thought that he might it might have something to do with fake ID cards. It had to be mentioned at some point in the. Well, it was. The, it did have to do with fake ID cards, but they couldn't. They didn't know why. Why fake ID cards? Like, was he? Were they just making them because they were young and not old enough to? Was it to for himself out? or was it? Was yeah. It a, was it a, a side venture? Right. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't find anything to say why or this made sense or this is why this was there. Sure. Or, One month before Josh went missing, the college announced a major settlement of dozens of cases of abuse by monks at the Abbey on campus. Some of the monks accused had supervised both Josh's dorm and the one where he was playing cards the night he was last seen. A Minneapolis WCCO article from 2017 said that Josh's father's persistent questions and trips to the college resulted in a restraining order by St. John's University. That's... that's, I mean... I suppose you could become a troublemaker, but this 
the son disappeared from campus, uh, this Catholic campus, Catholic kid, Catholic parents, it's a strong response by St. John's. It is. And, you know, I don't know the backstory or what exactly he was doing, but... Or what persistent means in this case. Right. It seems a bit excessive. Heavy-handed, yeah. Yeah. The college denied WCCO's request for an interview at the time, but said in a statement that, quote, there is no evidence linking the Abbey to Josh's disappearance, unquote. And including the monks in WCCO's report was, quote, journalism by rumor, unquote. Stearns County Sheriff's Office and the college believes that Josh is in the lake, but his father disagrees. He told NPR News in 2017 that he thinks Josh was taken against his will. He thinks investigators are too focused on the lake theory. He has conducted his own searches and hired a private dive team who searched the bodies of water on campus and found nothing. When I checked out the St. John's University campus map on its website, the route from the Metten Court Apartments to Josh's dorm at St. Mauer House would have taken him on a road next to Stump Lake. And it was, it was, a, it was a road. It wasn't like a path. Um, but it wasn't a big road. It was a road through campus. Okay. It was a main road through campus. Okay. Um, and it wasn't very far. I mean, it was a three-minute walk, um, but that road would have taken him pretty much right to his dorm. Okay. Zach Sorensen of the Stearns County Sheriff's Office was assigned to the case in 2015. He told NPR News for that same article in 2017 that, quote, the Sheriff's Office is currently open to anything at this point in the game. We will label him as a missing person. However, I'm not able to exclude any possibility as to what happened or didn't happen to Josh because we don't have answers as to where he is, unquote. Something that I read that was interesting was that around the same time that Josh disappeared, three other Minnesota college students went missing, all on weekend nights after visiting bars or parties. Two were male and one were female. The men's bodies were found in local lakes, and the female was a homicide victim. Her remains were found two years later. Josh and the two men were of similar age, height, and builds, and were described as high achievers. Law enforcement has stated that there is no connection between the cases, and none of them knew each other. I just thought it was interesting and worth mentioning. Is there a lot of lakes in that Collegeville area? I mean, besides the three that they that are connected to campus or right around campus? I'm not really sure. Um, it did say that there were those bodies of water on the college campus. Right, because it seems as if, so I'm not sure if in November that it would be frozen over right. or partially frozen over, but um, I'm just curious about the area. If there's, if you were going to dump a body, you wouldn't dump it in necessarily on the campus. You wouldn't think. You wouldn't think. So yeah. um, it's just curious if there's, I mean, we're, it's land of 10,000 uh, 10, lakes, yeah. so there's there's a lot to choose from. So. Josh was not depressed, withdrawn, or suicidal. He was active in student organizations, and his friends describe him as a brilliant student. Josh Guimond was 20 years old when he went missing in 2002. He will be 38 years old this year. He is described as Caucasian, 5'10 to 6 feet tall, and 170 pounds. He has blonde hair and blue eyes. He was last seen wearing a gray Gap or St. John's University sweatshirt, blue jeans, and a wristwatch. He has a vertical scar on his shoulder, about four inches long and a half an inch wide. He is supposed to wear glasses or contacts, though he was not wearing either at the time of his disappearance. This case is still open. If you have any information about Joshua Glamond, call the Stearns County Sheriff's Office at 320-259-3700. So in the uh, WCCO uh, article, uh, they mentioned that... um, that the there was no connection between the monks and his disappearance. Uh, why would that come up? Is it just because of the recent finding or the the recent the recent um, the recent findings or that the monks supervised those dorm that dorm in the apartment? Why would that have been? I don't understand the connection to that exactly. I'm not really sure either. It didn't go into a lot of detail okay. about why. I think it was just. You know, this big settlement just happened. Right. These accused monks had something to do with his dorm and this apartment complex that he had been at. Um, 
I don't think that it, I, th- I think it was just kind of speculating. Like, was there something here? Is mm-hmm. there something to be worried about? Mm-hmm. Um, it's close proximity. Is yeah. Why it was, at least yeah. why, it, at least initially, I just didn't know if, um, and I, I guess I'm not really sure uh, what a monk is, if that's a brother in the, if that's considered a brother in the, in the Catholic Church, or like a priest is considered a father, if it is a, um, somebody who is a, a, a given their life as as it's kind of like a male nun yes okay yeah that yeah okay. that's exactly my understanding of it these okay. the monks live on campus and they have dedicated in, their life yes to service yes okay they don't live i mean they live on the campus right. in their own place right um that was my understanding okay yeah and they were instructors caretakers um servants of the college yes in some capacity, whatever was appropriate. Yeah. Okay. It it just seems yeah. It seems uh, strange to put the connection of this this adult, twenty year old man who'd gone missing, with this monk settlement. Yeah, um, and you know the, the more I read, there are, there's some rumors that I won't even get into. Um, I mean, people can search them and find them, but if they're not credible, I don't know. Right. You know. Right. Uh, I don't we're just know. trying to be. You only found it in one spot too, uh, right? And so, so to just, we don't want to. We don't want to spread rumors, right? That we yeah, can't I have no idea by. what's true and what's not true. I just went off of that article. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it well, didn't. It didn't state a whole lot about why. I'm assuming just because there, some of the accused monks were kind of in charge of his house, and in charge of the Metten Court apartments where he was. Right. And so I think that it was maybe reaching a bit. Sure, sure, sure. Putting to say, yeah, more of maybe just a coincidence. And, an, and not a reliable, not a, a credible source that the information right. came from. Right. Um, so the, so there were, there were, was there two or three other people that went missing at the same time? Yeah. And um, it, it seems like that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, a college student goes missing and we have so many large bodies of water rivers yeah. lakes swamps uh, that that um that they drown and, and <laughs> most of the school year at least is in the winter time right it's not like it's an attractive place it's not the side of a it's, it's not a sandy beach it's a, a, a semi-frozen lake or semi-frozen river it's it's cold and unappealing but it does seem as if for whatever reason, there's a there's a connection to to college age students who go missing, and they wind up having perished in a river or a lake. Right. And uh, it's um, well, it's usually at night. You know, I mean, you think of typical towns with bars. They're downtown. Mm-hmm. Downtown is usually where a lake is or where a river is close by. Sure. Sure. Um, I mean, even our town. Right. You know, right. I mean, we're just two blocks from a right. from a river. And there's a there's bars right there. Right. So right. And you know, at nighttime proximity. it's cold, and you just imagine falling into a freezing cold lake or river in November in Minnesota. I can't even imagine. And I mean that gasp, that response, that gasp of because of how cold it is. Right. Um, and then if you are even slightly intoxicated, you right. just maybe not have your wits about you. Nighttime, nobody yep. would hear you. Yep. Um, but it doesn't seem like a uh, somebody who would have, you know. There's, there's, there's some people, and I think of the people that I know growing up that would have always been interested in that. The dangerous part of a semi-frozen lake, you know, throwing rocks, yeah. testing the ice, doing those kinds of things. But he's one, and that just wasn't. It doesn't. It wasn't like him. It, right. It wasn't him at all. He was. Uh, he was smart. He was. Talented, he was you know, focused. Focused. Yep. He knew what he wanted to do in life. Yeah, it just doesn't seem. He right. wasn't a. He wasn't a, a daredevil. Or yeah, or a typical quote unquote college student. You know, that's kind of living it up and. Right. Yeah. Well, it's um, and it's hard to think about. You know, as we're just right now, we're in the process of, of, elections are in full swing and people are talking about it and it's being discussed and advertisements are on the um on the air but what could this kid have done if he had been able to pursue his his goals and uh he'd be 38 years old now and 
running for office. Running for office in in Minnesota. Um, does it say was he from Minnesota? He was. He okay. was from Maple Lake, Minnesota. Okay. So I mean, he could have been helping determine the landscape of politics in in our own state. Yeah. Yeah. It's a real loss. It is. Becky Kramer grew up in Akamanawak, Wisconsin. She was the second oldest of five kids, two boys and three girls, to hardworking parents. At 19, she married a family friend, Michael Marzo. The marriage was short-lived. Michael filed for divorce in 2002. At that time, Becky was going to school to be an accountant and working at Menards. While working at Menards, Becky met Carl Rogers, Jr. Rogers was 12 years older than Becky. He was divorced and had two kids. He was a professional dragster, and that was exciting to Becky. He took her places and bought her gifts. Within a few months, Rogers asked Becky to move in with him in Milwaukee. Sundays were important for the Kramer family. Everyone came home. They brought their friends, boyfriends, and girlfriends, and they had Sunday dinner together. Becky sometimes brought Rogers' son to Sunday dinner, but she didn't bring Rogers. She started to miss Sunday dinner with one excuse or another and only made it through family gatherings once a month. When she did show up, she had bruises on her arms and face. Becky refused to talk about it and eventually quit coming to Sunday dinner. Becky wouldn't tell her parents where she and Rogers lived, and she wouldn't give her mother his number, so her parents never met Rogers. On March 31, 2003, Becky showed up at her parents' doorway with a black and blue face and a chipped tooth. Becky's mom, Karen, held her and cried. She begged Becky not to go back to him. That night, Karen gave Becky her wedding ring, telling her that, that to wear it because they might need it to identify her body. Becky went back to Rogers. Karen and her husband went to a counselor to see what they could do or should do for their beautiful daughter. They decided that they would lay some ground rules to, keep Becky, uh, to help Becky decide to come back home on her own. A short while later, Becky called because her car had broken down on the way to work. Karen said that she would pick her up if she agreed to leave Rogers. Becky refused and hung up on Karen. A few days passed and Rogers called Karen asking where Becky was. Becky wouldn't return any of Karen's calls, so she tried to file a missing persons report, but the police refused because Becky was an adult and could do whatever she wanted. Karen called and called until she reached the FBI. FBI agent Eric Miller found Becky in a gentleman's club called Gold Rush in Miami. She was working as a bartender. Agent Miller told Karen that Becky said she had not been kidnapped, nor was she being held against her will. Becky said that she hated her parents and wanted nothing to do with them. Karen kept calling Becky every day and leaving her messages on her voicemail. Eventually, Becky moved back to Milwaukee. She went from her friend Lisa Randall's home to Roger's home and another friend, Jamar Allen. Jamar was the person that picked her up when her car had broken down. It appears that they may have been romantically interested in each other, but eventually Rogers talked Becky into moving back in with him. On November 30th, 2003, Becky and her girlfriends, Lisa Randall and Christina Randall, went to Conversations, a nightclub. They stayed out until 2.30 on December 1st. Throughout the night, Becky was bombarded with calls from Rogers until she finally shut her phone off. In one article, it suggests that Becky thought that she might be pregnant and Rogers wanted her to take a pregnancy test. Christina drove Becky home to the 3100 block of North 5th Street in Milwaukee and waited for her to wave from the window. Becky went inside, turned on the light, and waved back. Rogers' vehicle was in the driveway. Meanwhile, Karen kept calling and leaving messages on Becky's voicemail. Her voicemail never filled up, so she thought that Becky was getting her messages, not just not returning the calls. In January 2004, Karen's niece called and said that something was wrong with Becky. She wasn't returning, uh, wasn't taking or returning her calls either. Once again, Karen tried to file a missing persons report, but the police felt that she was worried for nothing. Karen got Roger's address from the Randalls and plastered the neighborhood with flyers. She talked to neighbors and strangers trying to find her daughter. In Milwaukee, the police brought Rogers into the station and put him and Karen in the same room together. The police told Karen to tell Rogers what she thought he had done. This was the first time that Karen had ever seen Rogers. Uh, that just seems upsetting. Highly inappropriate. Yeah. Highly inappropriate. And, and um, 
I think that they were just trying to get Karen to quit. Trying to appease. Well, I think they were trying to, uh, I, I think it's a scare tactic or a it's trying awful. to get her to quit. Quit call, calling and quit right. pestering. But it's, I don't think this is the tactic that, that would be used most of the time. And she had never met him at this point. No. No. So she told Rogers that she thought that he had killed Becky. Rogers said that Becky had run away to Florida with two men and she was using drugs and was a prostitute. Rogers admitted that he had Becky's phone. He kept the bill paid and would listen to and then erase her messages. That's calculated. Why would you do that? What? What's the point? I mean, if, if, she, if she actually did run away to Florida, why, why keep her phone and why keep the messages? And why clear? pay for the bill? I mean, what... Wouldn't you be so upset that you would just cancel the phone and if that was true, wouldn't you just be like... I mean, it would only be for the purposes of monitoring her calls. That would be that would right, be to that see would who be, was calling her. That would be the only purpose, and um, it seems, it just it does seem odd. It's very odd. Karen didn't believe that this was true. That Becky had that Becky was um, using drugs and was a prostitute. She said that Becky was a petite and and brainy, but she was naive. She was a sentimental person who collected Winnie the Pooh keepsakes. She played the clarinet, and she was addicted to Yahtzee. Not somebody that, that she felt would be using drugs and would be right, a prostitute. Right, it's not her character. And, um, I mean, I think that that's the worst thing you could... I mean, that's that's pretty awful things to say to somebody's mother. Right. Um, and, and also that you've been erasing the, worst the messages. Thing. Right, and, that, and, and um, it just... Yeah. So, at this point, Karen quits her six-figure job to begin searching for Becky full-time. They exhume two graves dig up an outbuilding on the property where Rogers and Becky lived. Karen follows Rogers, going to his place of work, to his parents' home, to his friends. She plasters the streets with posters of Becky. She even had 40 to 50 people call Rogers and sing happy birthday to Becky. Rogers had been married for 13 years before he became involved with Becky. In November 2000, he attacked his wife and threw her down the stairs and gave her a concussion. He pleaded no contest to battery and was sentenced to a seven-month jail term and 18 months probation. In July 2005, he began to date June and six in May. When Rogers would see Karen Kramer stapling flyers, he would have June take them down. If she didn't, he would hit her. One morning, when she was getting ready for work, Rogers was in the garage cutting up a black and silver handgun into pieces. He told June to throw it in the dumpster at work. She said that Rogers had another handgun and three rifles. Why would he cut up one and not the others? Rogers' relationship with June ended within two years. June filed rape charges against Rogers, and he was indicted on two counts of second-degree sexual assault. On October 5th, 2007, Rogers committed suicide. So now we, will we ever know? Well, I mean, if Becky is found... Right that could tell us what happened um that she that she went to florida that she um you know that or if if she is found deceased that 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 the the body could reveal information that would tell us how she died right. and um that might be helpful but um her mom karen said that she forgave him for what he did to her daughter, but she didn't forgive him for committing suicide sure. and leaving without telling her yeah. where, where she was at. Becky Kramer Marzo would be 40 years old today. She is Caucasian with blonde hair and blue eyes. She is 5'1 and weighs 130 pounds. She has a scar on her left arm above her wrist from a dog bite. She has a tattoo on her lower back with a broken heart and a red rose through it. There is a $100,000 reward for information leading to the discovery of Becky Kramer Marzo. If you have any information, please contact the Milwaukee Police Department Sensitive Crimes Division at 414-935-7403. So you had mentioned that Becky wouldn't tell her parents where she and Rogers lived. She wouldn't give her mother's phone number. Um, and the parents never met Rogers. Well, until... Un until they were face-to-face. -face until after Becky went missing. Right. 
And I think that that's important to maybe talk about a little bit because when we talk about domestic violence, it so much of it is about isolation. Yep. So much of it is about keeping the victim to yourself mm-hmm. and making sure that they can't have contact with anybody else to potentially tell them what's going on behind closed doors. Right. And so I think that that's, it's really interesting, especially because she would show up at home with bruises and a chipped tooth and... Right, and she would bring Carl's son, uh, but not Carl, to the, to the, the um, family dinners. But Carl was 12 years older than her. He's, you know, he's been around for a while, and he knows that her family is not going to be, not going to like him very much. Well, especially if she's showing up with bruises, and he comes to family dinner too. Yeah, that they're not, and it sounds like this was a, a tight-knit family, and, and, um... I mean, they, they Sunday, I mean, the, the idea of a regular, uh, that a, a Sunday, a standing date for Sunday dinner right. kind of talked about who, who this family is and, and, um, and the traditions that they have. And so, yeah, Carl would have been very uncomfortable, right? very uncomfortable there, and it never did go. And it's interesting that from the get-go, Becky chooses not to share where she lives, or his number. And you have you have to wonder why. Right, what, she what knew was, early on. Well, what was told to her, you know, if they show up here, if they call me, if they, you know, if people find out, or whatever, what's going to happen. Right, or that my family, um, they're not going to approve yeah. of him in my life. Yeah, um, yeah it, it uh, she knew early on that that was... There was going to be an issue, and and you know maybe some of that was you know keeping the relationship personal and not not sharing it with your maybe potentially overbearing family. Right. Um. But, but um, throw in the bruises and the chip tooth and the, it seems pretty, um, telling. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so when Carl told Karen uh, that Becky Becky was in Florida. He said that she had been kidnapped by two people, or she had been taken by two people, right. two men, um, and um, and she was in Florida, and, and she was a prostitute, and she was using drugs. Um, but he never reported that to the police. Um, he never reported any concerns about that to anybody. Um, and so it just seems like uh, his history was going to, he was he was just throwing out um, things that to get the attention off of himself. Right. Look at what your horrible daughter is doing. She right. ran off, and now she's a prostitute. And right, that she don't was, be upset with me that I didn't you know do it. she's doing these horrible things. Right. Yeah. And when when Becky when sorry when Karen confronted Carl and told Carl what she thought he had done that he had killed Becky. Um, his response was um, defensive and childish about, uh, you know, I wouldn't like I wouldn't waste my time. Um, not shock or concern or anger or um, right. It it just it just seems a strange response to somebody accused accused you of murder. Um, he he said, you know, why would I wouldn't waste my time? It just was a strange response, and I think that that. The, his relationship before her and after her were, you know, marked with violence, and and then then he chose to commit suicide. And I, I I think that you it it's difficult because you you can read into that a lot of things, um, but if if I was accused of something or many things that weren't true, I would fight. Right. I wouldn't just check out. Right, because in a way, it makes you kind of it makes you look more guilty. Right, and and I mean, he was a he was a dragster, a car racer. He yeah. was a confident, right, confident person. Um, and uh, though though Becky's mom, Karen, um, you know, she she was dogged in her pursuit of Becky, and uh, certainly 
harassed him and his family and his friends and, and did everything that she could to find her daughter. That They exhumed two bodies because Carl Rogers' uncle was a mortician and she was concerned about the time that Becky was missing that she knew of was Becky... And other people who were buried at that time. Was she was she buried sure. with someone? Was she, um, was she in those in 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 the coffin? Was was there something that happened? And you know that would have been it would have been very difficult mm. to have bodies um, exhumed, mm. and it would have been at Karen's expense. Right. And then you have to have that family. That family is you know the person. Um, the family of the exhumed would be there and agree to it. I mean, and they would agree have to, to, agree it. to him. And then the process of opening up a coffin, which I don't even know what that would look like and mm. how difficult it would be for the family members who would be, feel obligated to be there right. to protect their deceased loved one, but to do it twice. And I, I, Karen's efforts certainly feel a little bit vigilante. Yeah. Um, I mean, she is, she is not, not giving in, not giving up, and I suppose that's probably what most parents would do. Right. Um, Becky, when Becky was little, she had a lot of surgeries on her ears, and so she, when she was young, real young, and I suppose that you would that fear of having your child go through surgery, multiple surgeries, and that you would you would be extra protective, maybe. And um, but she, um, Karen, Karen, Becky's mom. I mean, it's it's their her marriage has suffered as a result of her dogged pursuit of of Becky's killers, killer or killers, and uh, it's affected her family. It's affected it's affected everything. That everything that. Her life has been damaged because of her dedication to finding Becky. And Becky still is out there somewhere. Um, so the mother continues to search. So I have an update on a story that we read on... And it's interesting because we read the story on... I want to say it was December 20th or December 21st. Um, the story actually went live on... Um, Apple and, and SoundCloud on December 23rd mm -hmm. of 19. So um, it was the story of Adrienne Quintal. She had vanished from her family cabin near Honor, Michigan. Mm -hmm. um, and there were some odd kind of circumstances around that. She had called the police department and said that there was there were people at her cabin and that she had gotten into like a shootout with them. Um, right. She's she the one that the, had the clothing or the clothing, her clothing was on the roof or her purse was her on the roof. And yeah. 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 So then when law enforcement got there, Adrian was nowhere to be found. They found some of her belongings on the roof. Her personal gun was on the ground below the roof. Um, I mean, directly below where her clothes were. There was a shot through the roof. Yep. Yeah, there were shots fired, n nobody. There was no blood, there was nobody. So they, um, obviously, they searched the woods around the cabin. Um, it was mentioned, I think it was just in November of 2019 that she went missing. And so November in Michigan. Snow. Snow, right, and then right. they had mentioned that the woods there was very, it was very dense, and it was very hard to, to kind of get through everything. So... Fast forward to the day before our story goes live. Mm -hmm. um, Adrian Quintal's body was found December 22nd, wow. 2019. In between when we read it and when we and it went live. it. Right. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, I mean, thankfully, now the family has some closure. Um, her it's body was found about 800 yards from the cabin. They did say that. You know, they tried to search the entire area, but again, it was very dense. It was hard to get to. Um, her body was found in three feet of water, and toxicology results came back in February to say that she had 
kind of a, a toxic mix of methamphetamines and diazepam um, in her body. What is diazepam? From what I found, it sounds like it's like an anti-anxiety or like a but kind of a, a relaxant. Yeah. Okay, it's not just over-the-counter. Right. Okay. Um, so she had those two chemicals in her body, and then they also said that, obviously, hypothermia sure. played some part in, in that. So um, so does that mean that there wasn't a sh- shootout and this might have all been her? I don't know. It very well could have been. I wonder if there were other bullets other than well, and I I went back to that story and I remember reading that there were other shell casings not from Adrian's weapon, Um, but again this was a cabin. Um, They did say that some of the shell casings were obviously old and rusty and you know had been there for a while. Right. But I remember reading that there had been newer shell casings. Right. But you know what does that mean? Were they shooting guns there earlier that day or the day before? You know, I, and then you mix methamphetamine with anything else. I mean, meth- methamphetamine on its own can cause some paranoia and. The other medication that was found was what? Diazepam. And, and do you know what diazepam does? It, it, you said that it was, it was for. An anti-anxiety. Anti-anxiety. Um, yeah. Which, which, that's an interesting combination of what would that do to a person well yeah and so who knows who knows if that if what she said happened happened um even if it did happen you know having those medications in your body leaving in november in michigan in the middle of the night it's just a an awful combination of things right ultimately yeah and and I think that you know like there's certain places here in in Minnesota along the lake or river in which there's there's little kind of inlets trees maybe growing there but growing in in uh, in water right. really and um, where you can't really see through um, because of the dense over the dense underbrush and all of that that um, yeah it's well I think that because the body was found, there's there can be some closure for the family, to a certain extent at least. Right, right. They're not searching anymore. They're not wondering if right. she's still out there. Right. They can. Um, it doesn't. It obviously. They can doesn't. lay her to rest. Right. Right. Thank you, Katie. We ask that you do not reach out to the families or post names of possible suspects on social media. Missing person photos, along with information and articles used for these cases can be found on our website at gone-podcast.com. Okay, so my weekly distraction for this week is more tweets because I love tweets and they're hilarious. These are tweets that sum up life with seven-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> My husband is fifty is fifty-one, technically in in human years. <laughs> in For real maturity years, 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 it's uh, probably about seven <laughs> seven to ten. Depends on the day. <laughs> um, I'm in season fourteen, episode six of my seven-year-old story. <laughs> <laughs> episode six. Yep. My seven-year-old sure says, I'm not lying, a lot for someone who is usually lying. (laughs) Somewhere between asking me to make mac and cheese and me serving it, seven-year-old decided he didn't like cheese anymore. It can, it can happen. I, I don't, I literally do not have that capacity to not like cheese. Or mac and cheese. Right. The, the most perfect food in the world. Yes. My favorite part of going to the bathroom are little notes my seven-year-old slides under the door saying, we are hungry. (laughs) (laughs) I will say that if you are allowed to go to the bathroom on your own, that is a whole other, I mean, that's pretty spectacular. But they can't leave you alone, so they have to send notes under the door. They have to. I think that, and I I think that uh, parents should date the notes and keep, Every single <laughs> yes. one. Yes. Because you'll forget oh, yes. how you'll charming forget. 
and the oh. hilarious things that they say. And the and and mom, we're starving. <laughs> yes, I know you've been in there two and one half minutes. Yes, but we are since then we're, we're starving dying. to death. Yeah. <laughs> Me. Are you ready for school? Seven year old in only underwear with pants tied around his neck like a scarf and a sock on each hand. Almost. <laughs> Just about there, Mom. Almost ready. I've got half of what I need <laughs> in the wrong order, but yeah. it's there. My seven-year-old told me she wants a pet chinchilada. Do I find this at the pet store or a Mexican restaurant? <laughs> oh, I just thought of what if your what if your enchilada is made of chinchilla? <laughs> That's what it would have to be. A chinchilada. I a don't chinchilada. know. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, uh. seven-year-old just discovered Beyonce's album on her iPod also includes the movie. She gasped. <gasps> I can watch this when I poop. <laughs> <laughs> seven years old. What a brilliant child. It starts early. Starts early. Yeah. My seven-year-old's toothbrush has a suction cup on the bottom, so she stuck it to the tile wall and tried brushing hands-free. <laughs> Wipes tears of pride. <laughs> Which is really smart, <laughs> right? <laughs> with 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 toothpaste splattering one way yeah, and way. then the other, right? Uh, and I just want to say the idea, going back to the previous one that you talked about, the the uh, little girl who said that she could watch Beyonce in the bathroom. Yes. Uh, cell phones. Yeah, don't. Parents with seven year old kids or younger or even older have to be so gross yeah i mean ick yeah yeah seven-year-old visiting me in the hospital do you have any snacks <laughs> you're down to the, the answer to that is yes yes we always have snacks we have a toy car we have bouncy balls a mother of a seven-year-old she will she has snacks even in the hospital so today uh here at work our intern said I have little boy socks in my purse. <laughs> she has twin 10-year-old boys. Right. So that it makes sense. It's normal. It's probably, I, I guess. I don't it know. Is, I is. don't have any children, and so it would be very strange for me to have little boy socks. Right. That's Super a different creepy. conversation. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Somebody needs to be cold. Yeah. Seven-year-old made a weird origami dinosaur, and I told him I loved it. And now my bedroom is filled with 18,000 weird origami dinosaurs. <laughs> That's how it works. <laughs> that you have to keep forever. Ever. Because they will want to reference those weird dinosaurs. Yeah. Mom, and the, do you still have those weird dinosaurs? Yes, yes, I do. You know that? I'm talking about Bill. Bill the dinosaur. <laughs> right. Not that one. Not that one. The Not other that one. <laughs> my son asked my seven-year-old how she would survive a bear attack. And she replied she would try to be his friend, thus making her the most adorable of my children, but also the least likely to survive an encounter with an actual bear. <laughs> right, because if Disney the princesses most, can, I can too. The most charming. <laughs> the most the charming. Most right. charming. The most dead. Right. If Snow White can do it, why can't I? Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Laser sounds, dinosaur sounds, enraged death screech. Me, what are you doing, seven-year-old? Taking a bath. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> you want noise. Because if there isn't noise, something's, something's wrong. Yep. Being a parent teaches you a lot about yourself. For instance, this morning, my seven-year-old told me that I'm not as funny as I think I am. <laughs> what? <laughs> no. <laughs> That is harsh. Harsh. <laughs> it's harsh. Me. You won't know how to ride a bike right away. It takes practice. Seven-year-old. Okay. Me. Took me many tries. Seven-year-old. Can I try now? Me. Be patient. Mama, can I please try? Be prepared to eat it. Seven-year-old gets on bike, rides away. Seven-year-old yells. You weren't as, you were not as smart as me, maybe. <laughs> Just because I was 14 years old before I could ever take the training wheels off doesn't mean I'm not smart. My son was three years old when he rode a bike without training wheels. What? I know. 
I know. I was that. I was that mom. No, you. Uh, this no. Is, this is really. This scary. is a terrible idea. You can't. You're no. gonna get hurt. Yeah. Just be prepared to eat it. Be prepared to eat it. Yeah. Just took off. Three years old. My brother and I are. We're about eighteen months apart, and um, so we were doing a lot of the same things at the same time. Yeah. So we both we got we got bikes at the same time. My bike was had a banana seat. Oh yes. The 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 handlebars that were. And appropriate. with the streamers? Uh, yes, yes. Yes. And it was purple, and it had uh, purple with um, confetti flecks in the oh. seat. And, I mean, that's what I remember. But, so we're, we get bikes, we, the first time we've ever had bikes, we never had training wheels, and we lived in the country. <laughs> so it's gravel. Sure. And um, when you eat it, learning how to ride your bike on gravel... You literally eat it. You literally <laughs> eat it. Yeah. And um, it's, I mean, I'm not sure that's more painful to do it on asphalt. Yeah, I, I just know. don't think it, I think it's, you just, you just decide that I don't want to do that many times. And right. so my brother, who, it was one of, it took me a whole, I mean, I didn't learn how to ride a bike the first day. Monty did, my sure. brother. He just took off and went riding. Um which was very annoying. I bet. I, I was able to ride it the next day, but I it took me a whole day. And that was the longest Long, day of the your longest life. day of my life. Yeah. Because he was out riding Had around. A good old time. And he was, you know, and he was doing circles oh, around yeah. as I'm trying not to fall down and Aww. get and eat gravel because <laughs> gravel it doesn't matter where the gravel comes from. It does not taste good. It does not taste good. No, it does not. <laughs> Seven year old is tickling your fancy like when you tickle a rich person. I don't know. I don't know about you, but this is why I had kids. <laughs> to the questions of life. Right. Well, it makes sense. Right. <laughs> I would recommend you don't just go tickling people, though. Don't. No, no that's ask, not. You have to ask first. You need consent. Yep. <laughs> I just groan in frustration, and my seven-year-old said, yeah, I feel you. <laughs> <laughs> Without looking up from Minecraft. <laughs> from Minecraft. <laughs> <laughs> what could a seven-year-old, honestly, Minecraft being the most frustrating thing, you know, and watching the 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 clock, you know, on a summery summery spring day, <laughs> right? You know, reach three thirty. Uh, that's the hardest stress. Waiting for dinner, <laughs> yeah. uh, needing to come in at dark. I yep. mean, those are the hardest parts are. about being seven. <laughs> Wife, do not lick the dog, seven-year-old. But he licked me. <laughs> I would let him let try it. Go ahead, son. Yep. Yep. Go ahead. <laughs> Ew. Gross. Does laying in bed with my eyes shut make me look like I want to search my house for a quarter inch Pokemon figure? Because apparently my seven year old thinks so. There's no there's no rest. Well, if you take off your shoes and you walk around barefoot, you'll find that sucker. You will find it. Seven year old, I'm so excited about sleeping in tomorrow. Me. Me too. Seven year old. I think I'll probably sleep until seven. Me sobs quietly. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, no. son. Seven thirty, <laughs> maybe eight. Please. Uh, Seven-year-old was doing parkour over the furniture when he slammed into a door, got his jeans caught on the handle, and was kind of dangling upside down. I don't know if that's all part of the parkour, but I clapped anyway. <laughs> good job. Good job. Good jump. Good form. You missed the landing completely. <laughs> <laughs> seven-year-old i'm too tired for this me for what <laughs> motions vaguely at the world <laughs> all of this uh, you know what honestly that's how i feel today <laughs> i just can't it's been a week it's it's been a week and you know what i think that it's next week that has a full moon so oh uh, but mercury is out of retrograde though. i don't even know who mercury is and I'm not sure what retrograde means. Well, me neither. But, but it's not good. <laughs> but it has a negative effect on yes. our work. Okay. <laughs> uh, last one. Seven-year-old. Mom, can you pick out my outfit? Me. Okay. Her. It has to be purple. Okay. And a dress. Okay. Her. And have cats riding shooting stars with blue sequins and say sparkle. Me. Brings her the dress. No, not that one. Oh, my God. <laughs> One cat dress. Not that one. <laughs> would you? But would you pick out something for me to wear? <laughs> yeah. Parents of seven-year-olds—they deserve like a 
award. I, I was thinking a, a, a day off they'll during find the day. You. They'll find you. While the children are in school. Oh, yeah. And when they can't get out of And you're not sick. You just get to, to be right. wherever you want to be doing whatever you want to do. Yes. By yourself. Going to the bathroom. Like going to the, yeah, going to right. the bathroom. Going to the bathroom. Taking a bath. Yes. Or a shower. Yeah. Or shower. Or shower. You don't even get to take a shower by yourself? Oh, I mean, they find you. <laughs> they find and you. It's like, there's, and there's, <laughs> there's, there's urgency. Right. It doesn't matter if dad's around. Right. They need mom. Because mom knows everything. Right. They'll find you. Yeah. Do you try to hide? I mean, my son's 12, so I, it's, he doesn't want anything to do with me now. <laughs> oh, so, oh, but when he was younger. <laughs> right. Like, right. So that's a hell of a, that's a hell of a transition that's for a, a whole parent. Other, that's a whole other upsetting part of, yeah. They can't, you can't go to the bathroom by yourself. Right. And then what age do they turn? I feel like it's 10. Oh, and then they want where they're just nothing like, uh, else. You're just so not cool anymore. Or funny. Or funny. Apparently that starts at seven. <laughs> oh, good God. Well, I couldn't handle that. That Just, just that rejection, that immediate rejection it's of, awful. I need you at all times, Yes. whenever I need you, and then to, I want nothing to do with you. Right. Well, and I think that it puts it into perspective, too. Now that he's 12, I wish that he would follow me around, and I wish that he would bother me all the time. Right. I wish that... But you don't realize it then. You don't, you See, don't, you're just that's not That's why you got to keep those notes because yes. you're just consumed by their And life you. and, right. you know, just being a parent, getting right. the clothes washed and the food made and the... The feeding and the yes. caring. <laughs> yes. You know, yeah, that would be real hard on a mom's yeah, heart. So my distractions, I have some more quotes, which, um, which I, I found interesting and funny. So... Uh, this is from Neil deGrasse Tyson. He says, Does it disturb anyone else that the Los Angeles Angels baseball team translates directly to the to the the Angels Angels? Oh. <laughs> I know that's what I said. What? <laughs> like when you see an ATM and it, there's a sign that says ATM machine. It's a automatic it teller machine machine. Right. Yeah. I don't know that I could have told you what ATM stood for. Oh, I just made it up. Oh, no, it is. That's what I mean. That's what it <laughs> You know you're getting old when you stoop to tie your shoelaces and wonder what else you can do while you're down there. That's from George Burns. Now that I'm here, I might as well wash the baseboards. and I. <laughs> yeah, check my socks. <laughs> um, it's, yeah, it's honestly. If you're down on the floor, if you're, if you don't. Huh, wonder what else I can. Where, where, I wonder what else I can do. Is it appropriate just to crawl around today? Yes. Because I have to get back up. Because getting up is yeah. hard. <laughs> um, eggs are fantastic for a fitness diet. If you don't like the taste, just add cocoa, flour, sugar, butter, <laughs> baking powder, and bake for three hundred fifty degrees for thirty minutes. Oh, uh, that's how is, I love my eggs. That's that's how I love my eggs <laughs> in a cake. <laughs> Uh, uh, so this is from Mortimer Brewster in Arsenic and Old Lace. It was played by Cary Grant. Um, though it was also played by Janelle Feller in 10th grade. Wow. In high school play in Gillette, Wyoming. I was Mortimer Brewster. Hmm. I got to smoke a cigar on stage. A Swisher Sweet. Wow. On stage. What the hell? It was a different time. Honestly, the 80s. It explains a lot. People were probably smoking in the audience. Teachers lounge. <laughs> yeah. But I literally was not old enough to buy Switcher Sweets. That's crazy. But <laughs> so I played Mortimer Brewster and he says, Insanity runs in my family. It practically gallops. <laughs> <laughs> How did you know? Runs in my family too. <laughs> so this is from Ferris Bueller. Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Matthew Broderick. The key to faking out the parents is the clammy hands. <laughs> it's a good non-specific symptom. I'm a big believer in it. A lot of people will tell you that it, a good phony fever is a deadlock. But you get a nervous mother and you wind up in the doctor's office, and that's worse than school. You fake a stomach cramp, and when you're bent over moaning and wailing, you lick your palms. <laughs> it is a little childish and stupid, but then so is high school. <laughs> I never I just, thought of that. I, I know. 
And um, I love that movie. Which now I'm just saying that your 12 year old son could use that information against you. He someday. could. That's why, actually, that's why I don't let him listen to this because there's too many. <laughs> I actually am going to do that. I'm going to do that so that to my husband is like, uh, I can't <laughs> go to the grocery store. Look, I'm sick. Yeah. He knows all my. <laughs> except for it's been a long. I mean, we were there for the original showing of, of Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And uh, so, I mean, but he probably's forgotten that. Sure. Licking your tongue. Gross. Gross. The worst part of online shopping is having to get up and get your credit card from your purse. Honest to God, I thought it was just me, nope. but it's true. I have not bought things because I'm like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do it next time I'm out. <laughs> do I need this right now or can it wait until morning when I actually have to get up? Yeah, it can wait. It can wait. Honestly. I mean... <laughs> I don't know what level of lazy that, like, like what layer you're at when... Yeah. But, yeah. It's usually at night before bed, watching TV. But honestly, finding yeah. what you want when you want it, I think, is hard work. It is. But apparently not as hard as getting up and getting the credit <laughs> right, card. Right, <laughs> So, I love airports because the rules of society don't apply. Eat a pizza, have a glass of wine at 7 a.m. while in track pants. Nobody cares. That's so true. I mean, I want to live. I do not want to no, live in an airport. No. However. But you could pretend like you're flying every single day. And just go there and you your, your, your curlers and your robe. <laughs> and eat pizza and drink wine at right. 7 a.m. I mean, acceptable. why not? Totally acceptable. Uh, Groucho Mark said, outside of a dog, outside of a dog, a book is a man's best friend. Inside of a dog, it's too dark to read. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> yeah, don't. Just don't. <laughs> it's scratch on marks. So Emily Charlton, um, played by Emily Blunt in The Devil Wears Prada, said, I am one stomach flew away from my goal weight. Yeah, actually, I'm a couple. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a few. I'm going to, I need about nine. <laughs> And, and really, like, connected together. Yeah, yeah sustained. A stomach flu. Yeah. Right. For, I don't know, eight months or so. And then, years. Uh, and, uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. That would just be the worst. I think I'd rather oh. be chubby. Oh, gosh, yeah. That's a cute <laughs> movie, too. Um, Shonda Rhimes said, My perfect, beautiful, miracle baby never slept. Ever. Never. <laughs> Twelve years later, the memories of those nights of that sleep deprivation still make me rock back and forth a little bit. If you want to torture someone, hand them an adorable baby that 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 they love who doesn't sleep. Oh, I feel like that should be like a um, interrogation tactic. tactic. Yes, if you want to break somebody down, <laughs> do exactly that. A colicky baby and zero sleep. While also not eating and not showering and not getting your laundry done, and especially if you have other children, did they are they alive? I don't know. I, I cannot. Are the other do it? Are there other people in this family that need to survive? Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. They're only focused on that. Yep. Ugh. <laughs> Jack Whitehall said, "I'm sure wherever my dad is, he's looking down on us. He's not dead. He's just very condescending." <laughs> Just in the kitchen, but you can you can bet he's. You can I can feel it from here. <laughs> uh, trying is the first step toward failure. Ouch. Howard, oh, sorry, Homer Simpson. Um, Homer Simpson said, "Trying is the first step toward failure." Oh, good God. Uh, I'm not gonna say his name right. Zach Gaffinlock. Zach Gaffinlockopus. <laughs> Zach Galifianakis. There, that's close. Galifianakis. Galifianakis. Zach Galifianakis said, <laughs> "I have a lot of growing up to do. I realized the other. <laughs> I realized the other day inside my fort. <laughs> my, it's a trap. Don't do it. Don't, don't do, it. do it. Don't grow up. Nope. Nope. Stay. Zach yes. Galifianakis. <laughs> Stay in that fort." <laughs> 
because it's no good out here. It's not. And I'm motioning like <laughs> vaguely at the world. Vaguely at the whole world. <laughs> yes. It's scary and we're in election season and it's that's painful. Right. And right now in Minnesota we're in the pre muddy season. Yes. And we just got like three inches of snow yesterday. Wet. Which was I mean pretty because it is gross. It's the gross season, so everything's everything dirty and got gross. Yeah, we. I swear we've lost six inches of snow every weekend for the last two weeks, and everything's right now down to that layer of yeah. grunge. But um, it's just a reminder that we live in Minnesota, and it could literally snow at any given moment, in any given month, at any given time. And I'm just summer will never come. I am. <laughs> I'm afraid that that it'll be Easter, and we're going to be searching for our Easter eggs. In a pile of dirty, gross snow. Yeah. Again. Just Good don't times. die, those suckers. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't die them, and that'll make it a lot harder for the kids to find them. And I would suggest not boiling them either, because it just makes it fun. <laughs> well, they'll freeze. So. That's right. That's yeah. right. Okay. 